appreciate what Claire was just saying, what she's praying over us. How many of you just felt an impartation there? I want to tell you, when, when prayers are being prayed, it's not just prayers going out. We're not just speaking words. There's an actual impartation of divine life, power, wisdom, confidence, guidance, life, breakthrough in the spirit, wisdom to understand how to operate, move in your gifts. God wants to take and bring a shift into your life where he's taking you higher, not just staying the saddest status quo. I really sense that happen in the Holy Spirit right there. And I, 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 I just want everyone to say a shift. A shift is taking place. How many of you know that there's shifts right now in our nation? Things are happening all over. There is a shaking going on. Things are shaking. Uh, people are experiencing some, and it's affecting people emotionally. It's affecting them in their sense of uh, uh, just who they are, where they fit. They're concerned about their future. Interesting, Gallup poll put, put a, a poll out here recently that there are more people today that are concerned about their future because of present things that are happening, whether it's in the economic or political world, things are happening. Jesus said these things would happen. And uh, I want you to just turn with me for a, for, to a, a couple scriptures here. I want to take you, first of all, into Ephesians, very powerful passage. We've been on this series on why we believe, why we believe, the foundation of our belief. I want you to see Ephesians 3, verse 20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. That is superior living. To understand that there's something more exceedingly, more abundantly, more powerful than you can ask or think, and God is offering that to you, the church. And he says, according to the power. Everyone say the power. That is in you. But the question is, is it in you? Do you have the power? If the power is not in you, then you are thinking in a very subnormal. You're thinking below God's expected place of dominion and authority that he wants you to live in. He never inspected you to live below as a wimpy little wandering Christian. He's not expecting you to just hang on for the rapture. There's been, I think, I believe in the rapture. I thank God for the rapture. Jesus is coming. But what's happened is we've let the world go to hell while we Christians just hang on for the rapture. Jesus is coming back. For a glorious church. Not a church that's waiting for him. He's coming back for a church that's occupying, powerful. The church is a movement. It's moving. It's transitioning. It's impacting. It's touching. It's reaching. It's penetrating. It's not staying where it's at. It refuses to, to just stay in a place and be locked into some form of a historical or even a theological place. Well, this is the way we've always done it and this is the way we believe. No, God is bursting some wineskins. He wants to pour in new wine. Now, not everybody's ready for that. But it says that he's going to, you know, it's amazing. When the Apostle Paul wrote this to the letter of the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus which was in Turkey, by the way, was beginning to undergo some severe persecution. There was some shifts politically. 
The Roman Empire was coming powerfully on top of the church at Ephesus. And Paul writes this church, in your darkest hour is the best hour, your greatest hour, to believe for the exceedingly abundantly above things. He's not writing to a church that's just kind of drifting along. He's writing to a church that's undergoing some serious shifts in its economic and political and, and culture around it. So he's encouraging them. I want you to lay your hands on your heart this morning. Father, we thank you for the power of your presence. God, we just ask you right now for the fire of the Holy Spirit to just burn every bit of chaff, religious chaff. Any chaff, Lord, in our life, Lord, that is keeping us, Lord, from experiencing the, the power and the life of new growth. Lord, we ask you right now to just continue to place, keep your hand on our lives, on this house, and on, on so many of these churches. We pray for, pray for churches and pastors and leaders across America. Just, just this past week, my wife and I, we were in Portland. We were on a kind of a vacation and, and some other things, and we ran into a pastor and his wife. They're, they're, they're at the point and verge of just quitting the ministry. They're just undergoing such an assault and such an attack, and they asked to, asked to see us another night. We saw them another night and just going through some serious assaults, and all we could do is just pour in faith and hope and vision in this couple. Father, we thank you, Lord, for leaders and pastors right now that are that uh, they're just going through a season in their life. They need help. They need strength. They need support around them. We ask it in Jesus' name to pour out your spirit upon them in Jesus' name. Touch them, Lord. Lord, we just speak to the valley of dry bones. We speak to the bones that are dry. We speak to those bones this morning. We speak to the bones in our own life. We speak to the lack of vision and affection. And Lord, we just speak to the the cold or the lukewarmness. Lord, that has just crept in where we've stopped reading, we've stopped having an affection and attention towards the things of God for pursuing the purpose of the kingdom, Lord. We just speak to that lack. Lord, we don't, we don't come with condemnation, but Lord, we just pray that right now, even as you cried out, as, as the people were leaving the temple after the feast. Lord, you cried out and you said, to to whosoever thirsts, let him come and drink of the waters that you give freely. Lord, that you would satisfy the thirsty and the longing of the soul of the heart of a man or a woman, Lord, who's in a dry place. I speak to that in Jesus' name. John 1. John 1, 1. How many of you know it's a good thing to have a good beginning? How many of you have ever had a bad beginning? Well, I can raise my hand on my foot. I've had lots of bad beginnings. But you know what? God can give you a fresh beginning. He's the God of a fresh start. Doesn't matter where you've been, where, what you've done. He's the God of a fresh beginning. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. Not the Bible, not ink on paper, but the living Word. A sharp and powerful, a living Word that pierces 
Dividing the soul, spirit, and the body. It's a, it's a powerful living word that, that reaches right in and it transforms the heart. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This Bible, ink on paper, is not the word. This is not the word. People actually worship books. Because they think that, well, praise God, let's worship the Bible. No, this is not the word. It's what you read and what you speak and how you begin to activate the thoughts of God through your life becomes a living word. It's alive. When you speak healing over disease, that word, when you come into agreement with what God says about it and you begin to live, from heaven's vantage point, we're on earth, but we're seated with Christ. And when you speak that word, that word becomes a rhema word. It becomes a living word. It becomes a healing word. But there must be some form of agreement on earth. You can't just read the Bible. You are the Bible. You are the word. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Ray. Are you putting me up there with Jesus? Yep. You are seated with Christ. And what he is, you are. As he is, so are we in this earth. 1 John 4, 19. As he is, so are we. Oh, Pastor Ray, wow, I I don't like that. Well, they they didn't like that when Jesus said it. And they said, how dare you become and put yourself as equal with God? No, we are not putting ourselves, because if you're going to become equal with God, and we're going to be imitators of Jesus, then we walk in the footstep of Jesus, and that means that we become servants. Jesus became obedient unto the cross, and he served. He served the Father's will. He served. What does it mean to live and become the living word you follow, and you'd become what Jesus was? And you are who Jesus is. When people, Jesus was the light of the world, then Jesus turns around to his disciples and says, now you are the light and the salt of the earth. You have something that is so brilliant, so powerful. And if you would begin to understand your place of dominion and your place of relationship, and you begin to understand the liberty and the freedom and the power and the dominion that Jesus has put within you, there is nothing that can stop you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And he was in the beginning with God. How many here are in the beginning with God? Are you with God? The question is, am I with God? I'm not with my doctors. I'm not with my psychiatrist. I'm not with this, and I'm not with that. I am first with God. Because people will come and go. Things will come and go. Friends will come and go. People will disappoint you. My job may fire me tomorrow. Things can get, but I'm with God. And because I'm with God, nothing shall be impossible. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made with him. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, what does the darkness refer to? Jump over with me back to Ephesians chapter 5. What does it mean? By the darkness. The light shines into the darkness. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says this. 
No. I'm sorry, Ephesians first, uh, chapter 5, verse 8. Ephesians 5, 8. He says this for you. You were once darkness. Didn't say you were in the dark. It said you were darkness. You were the darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable. How do I know I'm in the light? Because I live my life to do what is acceptable to God. How many of you believe what the Bible says? Let me give you four reasons. When you become a believer and you begin to believe the Word of God, there are four major reasons why you are under a siege and under attack. But before you go there, I want you to take with me, jump with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, listen to what Jesus says about the Word of God. The Word going forth. Chapter 4, verse 15. Mark chapter 4, verse 15. And Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower here. And he says, And there are those ones who by the wayside, where the word is sown, and when they hear, these are wayside individuals. The wayside there literally means on the fringes. There are people that are on the fringes. They're not fully surrendered or committed to Jesus. They're on the fringes. The fringes or the wayside means the outside. They're on the outside. They're really not totally committed. I don't know if I'm really into this Christian thing. They're on the wayside, the outside. Notice what it says. When the word is sown, it's interesting the way Jesus puts it. When the word is sown, Satan comes immediately. Do you know that the devil goes to church? Every time the word of God, I, I've actually had people tell me this, and, and I don't say this in, in any offense, but they say, you know, Pastor Ray, when you get up, for, start preaching for some reason, or I hear someone talking about Jesus, I just turn them off in my head. I turn them off. I don't know why. I just kind of plug into my music, or I look at the football game. Or Do you understand that that's how Satan works? Oh, come on. I, I don't believe in all that garbage. You know, this past week, um, I had an opportunity. I was going deep sea fishing. My wife and I went up for a couple days vacation. Plus, I had to see my folks about just some of their things as they're coming into retirement and this and that. We also had a chance to talk to a, a pastor who's walking through some stuff. But we had a couple days where I went deep, deep sea fishing. We went down to the Oregon coast, Newport Beach, awesome place. Just beautiful weather at the coast there in, in Oregon. Beautiful weather, awesome woods, coastland, the uh, Cascade Range, beautiful place. Anyway, I, I, I uh, paid to go on a charter boat, uh, which I used to do years ago, uh, out at Newport, and I went deep, deep sea fishing, which was, they call it bottom fishing. And it's not, you're not trolling, but you're more or less just go out, you anchor out, and you're fishing for link cod and crab and some other things. And, and uh, as we're getting under the ship, I was getting onto this boat, and, uh, you know, we're just kind of getting ready, and the captain and his deckhand was getting us ready to move out. We're, we're on the way out to the uh, place where we're to go fishing, which is about a 30 to 40-minute uh, uh, truck on the, uh, as we're boating out there. And there was a gentleman out there. His name was Kenny, and uh, he's about my age. And he had his teenage son with him. 
And we're going out there, and uh, the guy was a little bit loud. I, I, I actually thought he could have been drunk or high on something because he was just, just loud. He, you could hear his voice over almost the motors of the ship and everything else. The guy was loud, but he was just talking his way and talking to a lot of people. And I noticed that when he would start talking, people would start moving away. Well, I was in the very bow. I was in the very front of the boat. Now, I like the fish that way. I like the front of the ship. Uh, part of the reason is so I can turn around and have my eye on the captain because he'll give us instructions and this and that. Anyway, I was in the front ship, and he makes his way towards me. And, you know, I, I could hear the guy. He started out the back. He makes his way to the front of the ship, and now he's up towards me, and we're about halfway to where we need to be before we start fishing. And he said, hey, what do you think of this weather? I said, I think it's awesome. I think it's great weather, man. It's beautiful weather. You don't really see clear days out on the Oregon coast. Beautiful weather. We talked talking about fishing. He fished out of British Columbia. He lives out of British Columbia. And him and his son were taking a vacation going down to Southern California. Anyways, they're chartering with me on this boat of about 20 passengers. We're out there fishing. And then the conversation turns to, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I live in Dallas, the Dallas area. Most people don't know Garland, so I'll say Dallas, Fort Worth. And uh, my wife and I, we passed. Oh, whoa, you're one of those guys. I said, what, what do you mean, one of those guys? Well, so, uh, you believe in Jesus? I said, I sure do. He says, well, I, I, you know, I don't want to offend you or nothing. I said, but I'm an agnostic and I'm an atheist. I do not believe in God. I said, well, I'm actually glad to talk to a guy like you. He said, what? I said, I'm, you don't offend me. He says, I said, I, I uh, personally like to talk to you because uh, I personally believe that atheists and agnostics, even though they say that, and some of them might even believe it, but I've come to find out that some of them that I've talked to are really ones that are pursuing the truth. Usually atheism and the, the, the front that they put out there when they tell you, oh, I'm an agnostic and I'm an atheist, what they're really doing, there's an inner cry deep down inside of them to find out and to actually listen to me. It's intended to test you. They will purposely offend you to test to see if you are genuine. And I said that to him. I said, the real issue is that you guys are not necessarily, necessarily saying that there is no God. You just haven't ever seen the reality. You've never encountered what it is to have Jesus really living in your life. And so you put that out there. And what you're doing is trying to weed out the fakes to test those that are real. He says, man. No kidding. He says, man. How did you know that? Look at it. How did you know that? It's like, I've talked to a lot of them. But I said, you know what? Genuinely, when we get down to the inner core of an agnostic and an atheist, because they're created in God's image. I don't care how dark, how black, how sinful, how rebellious they may look on the outside. Deep inside, there's an inner soft core that's saying, I want to know what's real. If it's real, prove it. He said, wow. That's it. He says, you know, the only thing I've ever known about, this way he said, the only thing I've ever known about Christians, because he says, I was raised out of a Jehovah's Witness background, which is primarily a works. 
They don't talk about relationship. They have no concept of a relationship with a heavenly father. Nothing at all. But he says, the only thing I know about you, you believers, is you are mean. You're mean, you're nasty, and you think you're so good, but you're not. I hope that doesn't offend you. I said, no. No, in fact, I said this to him. I, I said, Kenny, I actually agree with you. You do? Yeah. There's a lot of church-going people that call themselves believers, call themselves Christians. They're full of fear. They're full of hate. They're full of anger. They're divisive. They're hurtful. They're full of fear. They, they have no concept of who God is. They think that he's a mean, nasty, snarling face, ready to take a baseball bat and bang him on the head because they get out of line. He said, that's, exact, what Kenny, that's exactly the way I was raised. I was raised like that. I didn't want it. And I said, well, I said, Kenny, maybe, maybe, just maybe on this boat trip right now, maybe, maybe, maybe God is trying to speak to you. Oh, I doubt that. Maybe, maybe he's trying to talk to you. The Bible says God uses foolish things to confound the wisdom of men. He uses things that are not so that all glory goes to him. So anyway, we get to the fishing place and we're, we're starting to let down our nets. Or let down our nets. We're letting down our bait, not our nets. I'm hung up on Luke 5. We're letting down our nets, or fishing bait. <laughs> Bang, earth array. Uh, so we're setting down our nets and we're bobbing. And Kenny, myself, and his son, we start catching all the fish. I mean, we're catching fish. I mean, we're, and the reason is, is because we know how to fish. When you're bottom fishing, you bob. You bob, you troll, and you bob a little. Most of the people in the back that weren't catching any fish, they just kind of let their lines out. Let, they don't do anything, you know, and they're not getting any bites. And we're bobbing. We're bobbing the lines, and we start pulling in cod. And my wife's got pictures. I think she's showing everybody in the church about that. But, I mean, we caught, we caught our limit, which five apiece, and then we start catching more. And so the captain comes up to the front ship. He says, man, you guys... Could you, uh, could you guys spare and give some of your fish to some other people? And Kenny said, no way, man. These are my fish. And I said this to the captain. You can take all my fish. Just take them all, spread it out, especially give it to the kids. And Kenny hears that. So about 15 minutes later, he goes back to the captain. And I hear him. He, he makes sure, he, he's trying to make sure I didn't hear this. He goes back and says, oh, you can have my fish too. Take, take my fish too. So we come back up, and we're fishing some more. And we catch another group of five caught. I, you know, and we had a couple people come back and say, how are you catching the fish? We all had the same bait. But it was the way we were fishing. Anyway, at the end of the, that fishing trip, <clears throat> um, Kenny said this. He comes up, and we're getting ready to leave the boat. We're, we're back at the dock by this time. We had some more conversation about things and belief and all that. He says, you know, I've never... I've never talked to someone like the way I talked to that hasn't talked to me and responded to me in a way that was humane like you. Most people that are religious put up a fight and get into an argument with me. He says, I've never met that before. And I said, Kenny, I believe God's hand is on you. God 
really, really deeply loves you. And he wants to answer the cry that's in your heart. And I said, I'd love to pray with you. He said, no, 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 don't pray for me. I don't believe in prayer. I said, well, I want you to know, God is pursuing you. He's pursuing you. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. That was it. Turned around, walked away. And you know, folks, I believe that was a divine appointment. I believe there was a seed that was sown. I wish I could tell you I led him to Jesus. I didn't. It didn't happen. But I believe something was sown on a fishing trip. Now, what, what is my purpose? It was the Word of God made flesh. First John, or John 1 says that the Word was made flesh, and we all beheld what? The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. You know what? When we begin to display grace to people, when we begin to... By the way, grace doesn't mean that we just overlook sin. No, grace means that we learn to honor people and grace and truth. But you bring truth in such a way that addresses not their sin, but addresses their hunger. You know, people are hungry to know. But if all you do is bring truth, truth apart from grace can bring you into a fight. We are not into getting into spiritual fights with agnostics and atheists. How many of you believe that God wants to use our message to bring life and demonstrate the love of God and the grace of God? Jump with me back into Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, I want you to see, because I believe prophetically, prophetically we are living in a time where our faith is being tested. I wanted to speak on the foundation of faith, but the Holy Spirit literally... When Claire was sharing, the Lord just said, Ray, I don't want you to do this. Go to a different text. And I said, Lord, thank you, but I wish you wouldn't have done that. And uh, Daniel chapter 4, I want you to see something. You know this. Many of you know this text. Uh, I'm sorry, it's Daniel chapter 3. Daniel 3. I want to read this text. We're going to... Take, make some comments and close. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 1, made an image of gold whose height. This is a political empire. God, for 400 years, through Jeremiah, Isaiah, and others, prophesied about this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who was a political, he was an emperor, he was a king, now he believes he's a god. And it says in verse 2, And King Nebuchadnezzar set a word out to all the other satraps and uh, administrators and governors and counselors and treasurers and the judges and the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So the satraps, satraps and administrators and governors and counselors, treasurers and judges and magistrates and all the officials and provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image of the Nebuchadnezzar had set up and the herald cried out. He said, to you it is commanded, O people, nations and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the psaltery in the symphony with all the kinds of music, you will fall down. And you will worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar... Let me stop right now. Do you know there's a force that is coming even in our schools and saying, you've got to bow down. There's political parties. There's a voice today that says, there's peer pressure. Listen to me, young people. There is a peer pressure that says, you need to bow down. You need to surrender your bodies 
for sexual purposes, for drugs, for alcoholism, or you will not fit in. The same spirit that is in our land today came even from Daniel's day. The spirit that says you will bow down and you will worship. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the burning fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn flute, they fell down, they worshiped. Verse 8, therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. The Babylonians were accusing the Jews and spoke to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, verse 10, O king, you live forever, decree to everyone that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, they were to bow down. Whoever does not bow down, they were to be thrown in the midst of the burning bush, or the burning, <laughs> burning fiery furnace. Verse 12, then there were certain Jews whom you have set over of the affairs. They were actually in places of leadership in Babylon, by the way. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. These men, O O O king, have not paid due to regard to you. They do not serve your gods nor worship the gold image which you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the commandment to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to these, Is it true that you will not worship my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? If you are already, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn and the symphony and the music and worship the image, good. Notice he just says good. It uh, doesn't mean he still won't kill him. But he says, but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? How many of you believe that's? called a tight spot. You're put into a tight place. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I want you to listen to this. This is, this is the thing I want to focus on about why we believe, how we believe. They said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Sounds like a little disrespect. I, I, we don't even need to answer you about this. If that is the case, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Can you say amen? He's able. That's a powerful faith. He's able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Can you say amen? Remember, had that kind of faith that he will deliver you. But I want you to hear the next verse. Because this is where your faith is really tested. Those first three words, but if not. Have you ever had the kind of faith that said, you know, God, your word says that I'm going to be healed, I'm going to be delivered. But if not. Everyone say that with me. But if not. Say it again. But if not. Have you ever stood on a promise of God? I'm going to get that job. And I'm going to give praise. And I'm going to start tithing. But if not, I'll still keep tithing. I'll still keep praying. I'll still keep going to church. But if not. How many of you ever praise God because of the great things he does? 
How many of you praised God because he didn't do the great things you thought he should do? Maybe everything's been stripped. See, why do we believe? Why do we believe? I believe Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego knew that death wasn't final. Sure, it's scary. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor we will worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, we don't have people going around telling us to bow before an actual physical god of gold, but there are pressures. How many of you have ever experienced the pressure around us right now? Maybe the pressure of friends. The pressure that's in political parties. There's pressure right now in Oregon. Right now, we found out from this pastor we're talking about. Right now, there's a pressure. They're now allowing and they're now commanding all public schools to teach gay and lesbian sex as being normal and okay. It's, it's a mandate in public schools in the state of Oregon. There are teachers now that are pulling their kids out of those schools because they don't want those, their kids around them. I'm not suggesting that's right or wrong. There's some parents who believe that they can still make a difference in that culture, and I believe that as well. I will not judge them either way they go, but I want you to know there are pressures, and today in our economy, in our culture, Christians are told to be tolerant and to shut your mouth. It's time to open our mouth. It's time to make a difference, but not in a dishonoring way. Not in a way that we try to create an argument. We can still talk to people and say, you know what, Portland, I honor you and I pray for you because you are in authority and God has allowed you to be there and I will honor you, but I will not bow down to your cultural or your kind of demands because I serve a God who's greater than this government. I will not bow down to that. Folks, we're coming into this season right now where what we believe is going to be tested. We find here that these three boys, these three young men said to the king, let it be known, O king, that we will, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image. We will not set them up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of anger. By the way, they weren't in any Pentecostal Holy Spirit open heaven service here. There was no worship. There was no band playing. There were no miracles that were taking place. Just a fiery furnace and a lot of people around him that hated him. Let me ask you, is your faith that strong? So they say, and he spoke and gave the command to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded the certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats their trousers, their turbans, and their garments were cast into the furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down in the midst of the burning fire furnace. Notice they cast in there, they fall down, and the king was astonished. Notice when they were put into a place of vulnerability, listen to me, sometimes God places us into a place where we're vulnerable, into a place where there doesn't seem to be any deliverance. Listen to me, when you are vulnerable in a place of weakness and vulnerability, God actually is attracted to that because that's the way he shows his divine power. The king was astonished 
And he rose and in haste and spoke, and he said, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And the king answered, and they answered and said, O king, true. Look, he answered, I see four men loosed walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. When Nebuchadnezzar, near the mouth of the burning fire furnace, spoke these things to Shadrach, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, and he says, Come out, come out here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, their garments not affected. The smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and saying, here's the testimony, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, language, which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be cut in pieces. (laughs) Their houses shall be made a heap. Uh, because there is no other God who can deliver like this, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. In closing, I'm going to give you four reasons why we need to believe. Why there's a battle against your faith. I want you to write this down. Number one, because God's word declares the nature of his goodness. How many believe God is good? The devil hates the revelation of the nature of God because God is good. He's a good God. He's a delivering God. But if not, he's still good. He's a faithful God. The word of God declares that his goodness. The second reason why the word of God will be tested and why we believe it and what we believe, why it is under assault today, is because the word of God always, the word of God secondly also speaks of the dominion and the power and the providence of God through his people, the church. We have dominion. And when you begin to speak with confidence like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, guess what? The fire will not touch you. But if it does touch you, there are those in Scripture, the Bible teaches, that were sawn asunder. They were burned at the stake. Some were beheaded. Yes, there are some that gave their life for what they believed in. Others were not. This is a case where those, they were not given and burned, but God delivered them. I do not know. I cannot give you a scriptural premise why God delivers some and others don't get burned. I don't know why. But we do find out that in every case, God is the God who still raises the dead. Death is not final, and that's what we believe in. That's what we stand on. But the second reason is is because when man understands who he is, his identity as sons of God, daughters of God, in Christ, in their dominion, you threaten the very powers of hell. Because it raises the fact that the Bible is true. When you fight not with weapons of warfare, but you begin to do weapon, your battle with the love of God, with the grace of God. When you begin to do battle with honor instead of arguing. I talk to people all the time. They want to get into a spiritual theological fight. Do not do that. 
honor sinners and you will completely disarm them. If you want to disarm an argument, love them and honor them. But you, do, you can only do that when you understand with confidence who you are. The devil hates that. When you don't fight fire with fire. The third reason why the Bible is so dangerous and why the Word of God is under attack today is because the message is redemption. About the blood of Jesus. How many of you, how many of you right now have your families under the blood? Your families, you speak the blood, you pray the blood, you declare the blood. What is the blood? The blood breaks the curse. The blood opens their eyes. The blood completely resurrects a man and a woman because it's through the death and the burial and the blood that was shed that brings a man back into that place of resurrection life, relationship, power, and dominion to subdue all the enemy against them. Pray over your kids. Declare the power and the providence and the dominion that God has put on their life. I so appreciate what... Uh, uh, Claire and uh, James said today about prayer and speaking over, that, that, that's a real provision. You're praying canopy over them. There's life over them. When you do that, your kids become overcomers. Your children become a witness to the light of the power of the gospel that they actually believe in. We have to pray, but also let them and declare and give them the confidence that they can do all things. They can speak up. They can be a leader even amongst, even against the peer pressure. Don't sit there and just let them go along with the flow of the culture. No. Tell them they can be ones that can stand out as they stand up and as they reflect the beauty of Jesus. Not in a proud or an arrogant way, but as you come in a way where you're, there's humility and you're honoring them I'll never forget, there was a young man in my school years ago. He told me, he, first guy when I was in high school, junior high school, he told Ron Ewers was his name, Ron Ewers. He, 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 uh, he said, I, I was witnessing to him about Jesus. He says, I'm a, I, I don't believe in Jesus. He was, a, he was adopted. He never knew his parents. He went around to different foster parents, and actually one of his, his foster parents at the time was a math, a math teacher at the school I went to. And he happened to be my locker partner. And I, I began to share with him about Jesus. He said, don't tell me about Jesus. I don't want to know about Jesus at all. And so I'd be witnessing, and <clears throat> in fact, I hate to tell you this, but the first time I ever got exposed to pornography was because, Ron, we had, we had to share lockers. And he put a Playboy pinup in that locker and just fried my brain. It's the first time I was ever introduced. But this is the guy the Lord began to tell me to witness to him. And I was witnessing to him. We were in a library one day, long story short, and I was taught, we were just talking about school, but then he had an epileptic seizure. He had, an, his eyeball started rolling in his head, and he fell back in his chair on the floor. I went around, and I come down on him. Another teacher, or the librarian, not the teacher, a librarian came. I started coming, I, I began to speak in tongues. I began to just say, Lord, Father, I just, I come against the Spirit, because See, I believe that the Bible talks about the epileptic spirit is an unclean, demonic thing. I just begin to say, I take authority in Jesus' name, and I begin to pray over him. And I said, Father, just reveal your love. Just fill him right now in Jesus' name. And, and the librarian came, and she said, step, step aside, let me, she stuck a pencil down his throat so he wouldn't swallow his tongue. Well, I came back, and I started praying for him, and finally Ron starts coming around, and he says, what's, go, what's going on? What are you doing? He says, well, what, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just praying over you. Why? What were you praying for me? 
what happened to me? Well, why am I down here on the floor? And the teacher says, have you ever had seizures before? I said, no, I've never had a seizure in my life. Long story short, time goes by, a couple days go by. He said, what were you doing over me? I said, Ron, I was just praying for you. I was praying that the power of God in the life, because I believe in the power of prayer. He says, I don't have that problem. I don't, I don't know what happened to me. I mean, maybe I just had a, uh, maybe I was just dizzy. I, I don't have anything. I mean, he, he was kind of angry and upset about it. And I just said, Ron, listen, I just believe God wants to reveal his love to you. Just bring his love to you. And he's a healing God. He's a delivering God. Actually, he did have more seizures. He actually had a few more seizures. But over time, the thing, I actually run, this is one guy, I can tell you, I led to the Lord. He come to Christ. Ronald, and he joined our Bible study that we had at our school at the time. But he said this. He said, the thing that made me come to believe is when you were praying over him, when I was praying over him, that you actually believed that God could heal me. You really believed that, didn't you? I said, yes. I believe that. Well, it, it so impacted him. He says, well, why would God allow me to be born into a home where I had no father, no mother? I said, Ron, I can't answer that question. I don't know, but I do know this. that The Bible says this, and I gave him a scripture. It says, when my father and my mother forsake me, you've got the best father in the whole world. You've got Father God. I said, he's coming to reveal himself. Ron gave himself to the Lord, became a Christian, a believer. But it was because of the power of prayer and the power of faith. The third reason why the word of God is attacked is simply because of, of not only the redemptive aspect, God comes to redeem us, and the last one is this, is that Satan hates the church. When the church begins to reflect the community of life and a community of love, see, the, the world is to be turned on and their eyes opened up because they see the community of unity, of believers. Jesus said this in John 15, they shall know that you are my disciples because of your great programs. Because of your amazing, awesome worship or preaching. That says they shall know that you are mine because of your love. Everyone say love. Faith, love, and hope. But love is the greatest thing. Amen. How many of you know that God has given you something worth believing in? I am so grateful. I am a believer. I'm going to talk to you about the stages of belief. We're going to be talking about the foundation of belief in the weeks to come because I believe God wants to make sure our faith is solid. Amen. We're coming through shaking times, but we're not shaking. Because our house, our life is what? We're built on the solid rock. Amen. Can you stand to your feet this morning? Maybe you can say, you know, Pastor Ray, I believe God wants my life to be in. How many of you are right now an influence where you're at? You may say, well, man, Pastor, the only influence I know is my dog in the backyard. Amen. Well, be a nice dog owner. Start there. You might say, well, I don't influence anybody. Yes, you do. You're an influence. And you have a good influence. And one of the best ways you can show the influence of the, the kingdom is simply just be kind. Talk to people. And if somebody argues with you about theology, just say, you know what, we're not going to go there. I don't need to go there. I don't need to argue with you. I'm not going to fight with you. In fact, if you want to just say you won the argument, you won the argument. But you know what I want you to know? I want you to know how much I love you. I care about where you're at. Because, you see, it's not about winning an argument. It's not about saying, I'm right, you're wrong, and I proved it. 
Who cares? Who really cares? It's not about winning an argument. It's about seeing Jesus lifted up. Sometimes God's going to put you in a place, listen to me, sometimes you're going to be put like Shadrach. You, you might be put into a place where you are embarrassed, where someone uses and abuses you. That's where we're supposed to shine. It's easy to shine when everybody's on your same page and where everybody's applauding you. But when that you're not being applauded, what you believe in really shines. How you work and treat people. It's, it's important. So God's working that in me. I hope he's working in all of us. Can you just take one another by the hand? I'm going to pray for all of us and we'll close and dismiss. I believe we're coming into our best season. This is our best season. It's our best year. It's not a bad year. It's not going to be a bad year. I believe it's going to be a great season. Even next year in our election year, I know you're going to see a lot of mudslinging. Can I just admonish you as a pastor, as a Christian, turn the TV off. Don't let your spirit get all corroded with that stuff. I get calls from relatives. Have you turned the TV on right now? No, I won't do it. Just won't do it. It's not worth it. Father, we just thank you today for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for our children, our families. Lord, we thank you that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is having its way all the way through the end. And Lord, we just commit and surrender ourselves as believers to seek your face, to know your way, Lord, and to be an expression of your glory throughout the earth, in our community, in our lives. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you placed us together, rooted us, and established us in a solid way. Father, I pray you'll go with your people. Be with them. I pray that we'll leave here with confidence that, Lord, you've gone before them and behind them. And, Lord, there's a word of power to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that they could ask or think as they begin to use and put that power to work as they become living epistles in the community that they, they live in. Father, we love you today, and we give you praise. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate Jesus. Amen. Celebrate.